Today, we will have a slightly different format as I will be speaking to an industry professional who provides virtual CISO services. Some might call it a vCISO, while others might call it CISO as a service. In any case, I feel that talking to vCISOs can shed some light and touch on slightly different topics that might be of relevance to smaller organizations and startup companies. I hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome everybody. Uh, this is actually my first podcast in uh, another series that I just started recording. Uh, this series uh, specifically talks about uh, VCSOs as opposed to full-time uh, CISOs. And we have here Dominic Vogel. He'll tell a bit about himself and uh, his past, uh, interests and future, hopefully. And uh, yeah, let's, let's try to keep this a lively conversation, Dominic. Sorry Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the convo. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so uh, if, do you, you yeah, want to know a little bit about me? <laughs> yeah, if you could tell a bit about yourself. Um, sure. Yeah. That would be well, I mean, the, the uh, um, so I, I, I'm, I'm based in Vancouver, Canada, uh, and I've been in the cybersecurity for close to 15 years now. Uh, first 10 years of my career was in the uh, in the corporate world. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the credit union system here in the Vancouver area. Um, it was five years ago where I decided to follow my entrepreneurial spirit and form CyberSC. Uh, and that's my advisory firm, which we've been developing over the past five years. Um, but to your point there, Ben, about the, the VCSO space, we provide VCSO services and cyber risk leadership to small and mid-sized organizations right across North America. And that's, that's um, my current role there as chief strategist. Uh, I, I like to joke in which I say, you know, I, I don't really do a lot of the hands-on security work uh, uh, too much now with my clients. It's, that's most of my team that does that. I spend a lot of time focusing on brand building and uh, relationship building and appearing on awesome podcasts like this one. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I uh, founded my company 11 years ago. And you know what, I, ha I do have uh, one off script question here, just, the top of my, just off the top of my head. Uh, what would you say, I mean, looking back like five years ago, would you, would you say that was a wise decision to go entrepreneurial? Or uh, would you prefer, I mean, yeah, answer that and I have another question. That, that's a, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yes, unequivocally, yes. You know, the, uh, on, on multiple fronts, you know, I, I've learned more about myself and I've evolved more as a person, both professionally and personally, as an entrepreneur. I mean, I was very much a um, myopic thinking, uh, introvert person in my corporate reign and um, I never thought I'd be someone who'd be appearing on podcasts or you know, pub doing public presentations, uh, or someone who you know who's been like I said, a lot, spent a lot of his day building relationships. You know, so um, I've grown, uh, like I said, personally, professionally, financially. You know, I sure I wouldn't have this rubber pig now <laughs> for going out on my own. So um, it's it's something which um, uh, I'm glad that I I did. Um, I wouldn't say I'm. I would wish I had done it sooner. I think I needed to have that corporate reign uh, behind me so I could really better serve uh, my customers and my clients and know sort of what I wanted to do and who I wanted to serve. So that was certainly a very uh, necessary piece. But um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have changed the journey for anything. 
Yeah, and and you know, uh, I just uh, I was asked a few months ago uh, by a colleague of mine. He's actually a CISO, a full-time CISO. Uh, he asked me if I were if I could even consider going back to being like an employee for a certain company. <laughs> and I told him, no way in hell. I I, I can't <laughs> even imagine. I can't even imagine that right now. No, no, and it's funny that you say that. No, it it, it I, I'm. I'm broken, shall we put it that way. I can't go back to corporate. I, I really don't think that there is, uh, there is an amount of money in which I would go back just because I have that flexibility. Uh, if I want to stop working for the day and play outside with my kids, I'll do that. I have no one to report to other than, than myself, you know. So um, that's that's something that there's no amount of money that can, can make up for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Um, so let me ask you a couple of uh, icebreaker questions here. Um, so what's your marital status? I know you mentioned you have a kid. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, happily married. We've been, uh, um, we have, uh, to my wife, Chrissy, uh, we have two uh, amazing kids. I have a two-year-old son, James, and a 10-year-old daughter, uh, Audrina. Um, and yeah, being a father and husband is the, uh, that's that's my why. Every, everything uh, revolves around them, and um, all the decisions I make um, are for our personal betterment. And um, yeah, no, I, there's there's nothing better than, than, than being married and having kids. Yeah, and that leads me to my follow-up question: What's your favorite drink? Because you have two kids, so um, I'm assuming <laughs> you, you need to have some alcohol stored. Well, <laughs> well, b- believe it or not, the um, my uh, I'm. I'm someone who just drinks a lot of tea. I love having a nice um, cup of tea, uh, several cups of tea during the day. I, I'm actually quite pr- proud of the huge assortment of, of tea that, that, that I have. Um, at last count, I think I have a, probably 14 or 15 different options. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm a tea drinker. Uh, I haven't had alcohol in a long, long, long time. Really? Wow, that's interesting and refreshing. Uh do you think do you think the reason for that is that Canada is still well I might be mistaken here but is it still under uh, the Commonwealth system of the UK? No, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say uh, uh, in, in, uh, that has anything to do with it. I mean, uh, if anyone drinks, it's it's Canadians. Um, I'm quite certain a Canadian could out drink an American any day of the week. But um, uh, I, it's more of a I'd say a personal lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've noticed that uh, I am healthier, uh, feel better than when I don't have alcohol running in my body. Uh, just having uh, water and tea and um, uh, in my body and uh, eating a, a healthy diet, exercising, especially as I as I get older and I have kids, um, there's no point in me being being uh, not able to, to function. So I'm a believer in, in, in eating and, and drinking right. Okay. Uh, yeah, as I said, that's refreshing. Um, so let's dive right in. Uh, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you, when you began your career? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say that the one thing that I wish someone had told me was to invest in networking um, early on in your career. And I don't mean infrastructure networking. I mean actually networking with people, developing a network of trusted colleagues and peers, uh, that is something I didn't do until well into uh, into my career, probably ten years in, and um, I wish I had done that sooner because that's that's there's so much that you can learn from them, both professionally and personally, uh, and they they strengthen you in, in in so many ways. So that, that's something I wish I had known earlier in my career. 
And I'm so happy that you said that. You know, uh, th this is one of the lessons I'm trying to, to, to give out to my kids. And, and I actually said the exact same thing to my, to my son uh, probably a month ago. I told him, look, the value of network is, I mean, you can't really understand how valuable it is. And the, the circles that you're, that you're in, uh, you know, and, and if I'd known that as well, like probably 20 years ago, I, I'm sure I would be much more successful these days. Yeah. But yeah. I, 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 I echo those sentiments, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Uh, what would you consider your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it? Um, yeah, and I'd, I'd say that this would be, um, I would say, uh, it was a failure in terms of not, um, just being a myopic thinking. So a thinker, so in my, in my corporate career, I was just focused on all things security, you know, and, um, I didn't invest in while well, referred to, often referred to as soft skills, I'll refer to as foundational skills, but again, the ability to be able to communicate to non-technical people, to the business, to the C-suite about cybersecurity, do it in terms of risk, in terms of a language that will resonate with them. Um, I was someone who just saw security as, uh, you know, uh, as being something which well, this has to be done. It's absolute. You don't see it this way. You're an idiot. Um, you know, I, I just took things far too personally, you know, and uh, um, that to me was a, a, the biggest failure was that I didn't evolve and develop strong communication and personal skills um, to be able to be, you know, a great communicator, both written and verbally, be a collaborator, uh, to be able to be a skilled communicator, like I said, to non-technical audiences. Um, those were colossal uh, failures in, uh, in, in my professional career, for sure. Yeah, and, and I, can, I can echo that sentiment. And actually, you know, when speaking to other uh, full-time CISOs, I heard uh, the, you know, like similar answers. Uh, and, and again, I'm talking about successful CISOs. So definitely like, you know, you have to develop soft skills. You have to know how to talk with people. You need to be able to, uh, I think, and, and I'm, 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 I'm stating my opinion right now, right? You have to be able to prioritize whatever it is that you're asking and communicate with the business and not against the business. So exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, what would you say you've done, you would have done differently looking back on your, on your career? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll extend that, that, that previous point as well. I wish that uh, I thought bigger picture and tried uh, at least earlier on to be someone who was not just trying to push a security agenda, but to be someone who was to be more seen as an asset and, and enabler of the business not the oh crap it's the security team again um you know uh, i could go back and, and change that mindset and say oh you have to be a, more of a collaborator you have to be more open-minded you know you have to uh, be someone who's able to to lead with with, with empathy and, and be able to understand where the business is coming from and not to just take things so personally um those are all things which you know like i said if i can go back in time and change them i, I certainly would because i I feel that, that that would have allowed me to have accelerated my career um, in a much more positive growth pattern. And um, I, I feel like I would, I, who knows, I may have even stayed in the corporate world <laughs> uh, in, 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 that, in that regard. So, um, you know, it's like I said, that, that's something which I, I do have with, with some trepidation of regret. Yeah, and I can say that personally, I wish I had a time machine as well. 
probably went back and, you know, tell my younger self a lot of uh, similar things. And, well, <laughs> it would come in handy, you know, time having a time machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And definitely, if I go back, I'll, I'll tell my, my, my old self to be very wary about 2020. Maybe <laughs> just go to a remote island. <laughs> At the beginning of the year and just yeah there. yes that and invest in <laughs> apple and amazon stock early on <laughs> yeah of course apple amazon and probably microsoft yes. and and even facebook although i i don't really believe in that company i don't i don't, I don't think it provides you know a real value but you know uh you can't really argue with, with your the stock uh, price. <laughs> like, exactly but definitely uh what would you say your uh, the best resources uh, that have helped you along the way were? Like in terms of, you know, anything from uh, colleagues, network, yeah. um, Google even. The, the, the uh, I know, and there's so much, again, where I'm in my career now, I, 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 I really value being a mentor you know, to, to those who are just starting their career. And, you know, I, I still have, have mentored, professional mentors as well. And, uh, that to me, you know, especially in my first few years, um, there was there was a few people who were just uh, absolutely incredible in, in mentoring me. Um, and one of which had not, knew nothing about cybersecurity, which more of the um, here's how you succeed in, in the business world kind of thing. And I think it's so important for people to just not rely on themselves or to not just Google things, but remember that there are, there are people who have done what you want to do. There are people who have reached great accomplishments. And again, you don't have to mirror them exactly, but you'd be foolish not to at least get more data points and by seeking their knowledge and seeking their friendship and mentorship. So um, um, I wouldn't be where I am without the uh, amazing mentors I've had along the way. Yeah, great answer. And, and, and I can sum it up in like one word, people, right? Yeah, uh, totally. And, and that actually brings me to my next question. I usually ask my interviewees uh, if they had like three specific individuals that were, that have been most influ influential to them. Can you name like uh, specific three people? Yeah, I, I definitely could. <laughs> Def definitely could. I mean, um, in, uh, probably in, in, in this order, I mean, the, the, the first one would be um, be my dad. Uh, my dad was a, he's retired now, but he was a, long-time high school teacher in physics and computer science and um i'm not who i am without his his upbringing and you know have, having me you know, sort of be someone who likes questioning everything and being a, a lifelong learner and you, you have to be a, a, someone who's able to learn and unlearn and learn again especially in a field like cybersecurity. so um first and foremost him um the next one would be my first manager uh, i remember when i uh, was fresh out of university and trying to find a job in cybersecurity. Um, it was very hard. No, no one was hiring. No one was willing to, to, to I mean, cybersecurity jobs as a whole were, were much rarer back then as well. And um, I remember he said to me, he'd say, you know what? Um, you're not the most qualified person for this job, but you were by far and away the most passionate person. And he said, there's something about you that I want to take a chance on. And, um, if he hadn't hired me, uh, and who knows if I had, what, what, had to wait more months before getting a job, I may have taken another opportunity and maybe have done something else in IT or in a totally other different field. Um, so um, my my timeline didn't 
um, doesn't unfold the way it unfolded with without him and without him taking a chance on me. So that's um, that's another person who's had an incredible influence on how my life has panned out. Um, the third person, uh, in particular, I would say this is in the uh, past um, few years, has been my wife. You know, she was, um, you know, I'm the only uh, person who's bringing an income for the family. And uh, at the time when I was thinking of leaving corporate, and it was a difficult decision because I, I didn't want to put our family at undue risk. And she she supported me and has always supported me along the way. So without that support, I, I may have not have made that jump. So um, those are the three I'd say that have had the most impactful um, impact on my career for, and, and life as well. Yeah, interesting. And you know, I had uh, similar experiences specifically with my wife as well, because when I founded the company, that was, you know, that was like a long shot back then. And I just came to uh, to an understanding that I've, if I'm not doing it back then, I will probably won't do it anymore because we were, I was probably 32 we were just about to get married and, you know, we knew that kids will come at some point after that. Um, and I just realized that I'm, if I'm not gonna, you know, take the leap back then, it, it's going to be so much harder after that. Yeah. But again, as you said, I was the sole provider back then as well. So yeah, I think the support of your spouse is very, very important here. Uh, okay. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what's the one common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I'm going to come from the myth point of view of from what we see with a lot of our prospects um, in which the one of the most common myths we hear is, oh, you know, we have an IT service provider. You know, we're not worried about cybersecurity because if something happens, it's on them, not on us or a close cousin of that is, we have cyber insurance, we don't need to worry about cybersecurity. Um, those are the two myths that drive me up the wall and are, I would say are the most significant roadblocks that we face in terms of the uh, potential, in terms of the prospects that, uh, that we come across in the uh, SMB and the small and mid-sized business space. Um, and again, those myths drive me crazy for, you know, all the obvious reasons. One was cyber insurance is that, again, Cyber insurance is a tool of risk management. It's not a get out of jail free card. <laughs> uh, if you, it's risk transfer, actually, right? Yeah, it, well, exactly. And again, basic principles of, of risk management. Again, you uh, you do what you can to reduce uh, and manage the inherent risk down to uh, levels as far as you can go, and whatever that residual risk is, then you can then um, uh, insure against either that transfer risk. or yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 exactly. You know, and uh, um, and in the case of IT service providers. Um, you know, you don't, uh, as a CEO or business owner, you don't wash your hands of cyber risk. Um, yes, the operational aspects of cybersecurity may be uh, outsourced, but uh, unless you're doing the right due diligence and providing the right governance and structure, um, if you, there's a data breach, your clients, your customers, your shareholders, they're not going to come after your IT service provider. They're coming after you, you know. So, you know, that, that's, that's, like I said, is probably the most common probably miss that that I, I come up against on, on a daily basis but do you even uh, try to rebuttal those uh 
yeah. most common myths, or do, do, do you want to, or, or do you just do you just give up and and you know decide not it, to work with it those specific? Depends. It depends. It it honestly depends. You know, uh, it's very contextual on the um, on the person we're, we're we're talking with. If the person that we're talking with is coming from a good place and there's an air of humility there in which that that's their perception and we're able to educate them and inform them um those those and i'm a firm believer that the the best clients that we've had are people that were able to convert you know the strongest believers are often converted uh so i wouldn't say that we don't always try but if it's obvious that there's a air of arrogance uh, to that or you know no alism um, we don't, I don't bother trying. I just say, well, you know, have a good life. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with that approach. Uh, and you know, that brings me to my next question. And I think you touched on that. Uh, what market do you operate in? I know you mentioned uh, the SMB space, but if you want to give yeah. a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, we, we serve small mid-sized organizations. And again, by that, you know, I mean, uh, our, our smallest client is, I believe, 15 employees. Our largest is around 800. The average size is generally around 200, 250 or so. So again, it's a full gamut in terms of employee size. Um, in terms of sectors, uh, at least cybersecurity has come to the, 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 the way now with the digital economy and at least right now during COVID, very virtualized workforce that it's very sector agnostic. You know? So we work with small, even in the public sector, smaller municipalities, uh, smaller cities and towns uh, and private sector, you know, there's uh, law firms, accounting firms, um, tech firms, manufacturing firms, uh, 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 private uh, uh, education institutions. So it, it covers a quite a, a wide swatch of things. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I love working with small mid-sized organizations. They're, they're the lifeblood of the, of the economy. Yeah. Definitely. I think they make up around 80% of the economy in most countries. Uh, But would you say, um, would you say that the main driver for them to be working with you are, is it it compliance or is it just cybersecurity concerns or internal decisions? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely, it's definitely reactive. Let's put it that way. They're not being, uh, very rarely are they coming to us proactively wanting to improve their cybersecurity capabilities but there's, there's generally two main buckets or two main reasons in, in that reactive fashion so the first is the company or the organization has been nailed by ransomware or nailed by a major data breach and they've now emerged from the ashes and they're saying you know we do not want this to happen again please help us make sure that we at least uh, reduce the risk and reduce the likelihood of, of this happening again so that is i'm going to say for every 10 prospects that reach out to us, I'm going to say probably uh, six or seven of them are for, for that specific reason why they're reaching out. Uh, the other, you know, the remaining you know, three or four uh, out of that 10 that, that are reaching out to us um, react, it's still very reactive, but they tend to be business, business organizations. So these are small or mid-sized organizations that sell a product or a service to a large, into the, into the enterprise space. You know, they're serving larger organizations and enterprise organizations. And because enterprise organizations are clamping down on vendor risk management, and clamping down on supply chain risk, they are now demanding that their suppliers and, and vendors are providing them with very clear um, proof in terms of how cybersecurity is being handled uh, at those organizations. And uh, we've had prospects reach out to us saying, you know, please help us. We have you know, one of our, our, our single biggest customer, which makes up like 60% of our, our annual revenue, 
they're now asking for proof that we have a cybersecurity program in place. We've, we've told them that we've been doing this for years, but actually we haven't we've been lying all this time. I kid you not, this, this has happened on more than one occasion. Um, and I said, please help us. You know, we can't afford to lose this, this client or lose this contract. So um, that one's very interesting because that one has a very clear business reason that's tied to, uh, was very clearly tied to, to revenue, in which if they're at the risk of losing like a $10 million contract, well, now it becomes suddenly easier to open up the checkbook when it comes to investing in cybersecurity. Yeah, of course. And I, I, can, I can relate to that as well. I think um, the majority of my customers, they, the, the main driver for, for uh, you know, putting anything in place around cybersecurity and compliance is usually either uh, a regulation or a new law that came to mm-hmm. me or uh, contractual obligations. And I think you yeah. see that mostly in the B2B space, as you just yeah. mentioned. Whereas, you know, B2C is, uh, it's more fluid. I think you just, if you, yeah. I mean, if you just like, uh, I don't know, like more if you, if you, pro- if you process credit card information, so you would need to mm-hmm. comply with PCI DSS, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. yeah, for, for the main part, like B2B, that's, that's where you, you see the compliance needs. And as you say, the mm-hmm. supply chain uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know that, uh, and I know you touched on that, but like my next question, my next question is, uh, uh, what are you, the common challenges uh, you see your customers are, are, are faced with? And I know you mentioned the ransomware, but uh, did you wanna, if you wanna elaborate yeah, on that? I, yeah, so I mean, uh, I mean um, on a whole, I'd say that the main issues we're grappling with are um, just, um, a lack of maturity around cybersecurity. The vast majority of, uh, of our of the prospects that we come across, uh, organizations that become our clients, have historically not invested in cybersecurity. They may have you know some antivirus or you know, their IT service providers put in a firewall, but by and far, you know, it's it, from a technology perspective, from a people perspective, and from a policy and process perspective, it's very immature. You know, so I'd say that the sort of the greatest challenges there are how do we um, sort of intertwine this with that broader digital transformation movement that many of them are are, are either embarking on or are currently embarking on to really make sure that security gets modernized as part of that process. You know, so um, I'd say that, that that biggest challenge is just trying to um, really help prioritize them without overwhelming them because often, like I said, often the case there is a lot of stuff that needs to be done, and it's like how do we just mo- start at least maturing things without it being overwhelming uh again especially during covid when budgets are extremely <laughs> thin and, and and such for 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 most smbs so um i'd say that's that biggest challenge is the, where do we have that uh, risk prioritization in terms of uh, how do we move the needle forward when it comes to their cyber security maturity yeah yeah i think that's a very common challenge that i i was facing with as well um and and you know um so as, as a part of your offering, your virtual CISO, and obviously there are, uh, you know, some conflict of interest uh, concerns there. So I'm assuming you, you're engaging on a daily basis with other vendors as well to provide other services that, you know, might be complementary to yours. Uh, so, so how would you define your relationship with other vendors and what's your advice to play well together? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question there, you know, and again, the way we've structured our, our, our organization, our services is that um, we don't have any, we're not a middleman in, in any introduction. So um, if we see a need where uh, application security is needed as an example, 
we have a strategic partner where we would make that uh, introduction uh, to our clients, and then uh, they would be able to to run with that. You know, I, I'm I'm not someone who who was wanting to structure our company in a way in which we're just trying to cream uh, uh, swipe cream off the top for all sorts of deals because that, that gets really confusing and and that introduces bias in, in my opinion. So I mean, same thing which on the technology side, we we have positioned ourselves as being advisors and impartial advisors. So we're gonna focus more on capability gaps rather than, oh, you're missing you know, technology X and you, as a result of technology X, you need to buy vendor Y kind of thing. So yes, we have our favorites. Yes, we have our preferred ones, uh, but you know, as part of our process, we're just gonna bring in multiple vendors uh, to at least have a, um, uh, to go through the due diligence process. So as part of that playing nice with everyone, it's again, having that level um, of fairness and being able to make sure that we just have really good relationships with with the uh, different vendors that we commonly uh, see a need to uh, to introduce our, our our clients to, and in terms of like I said, in terms of how we've developed strategic relationships as well. So uh, whether that be with privacy professionals, people who uh, focus on vulnerability assessments, penetration testing, uh, application security, uh, digital forensics, all things which we see quite frequently for our clients. And then we make those, like I said, we, we bring in our strategic partners to, to help in that regard. But um, that's, like I said, I think taking more of a strategic partnership lens, um, and I guess taking a relational approach to business, not a transactional approach. Uh, like I said, I think that, that, that goes a long way again to, to serving clients, serving those, serving our strategic partners, and, and serving ourselves as well. It's what I refer to as a triple win. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think we've had this conversation in the past, but a lot of vendors, they pretty much see everybody as a as a threat, right? And, yes. And, <laughs> and I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, forming alliances and strategic partnerships. You know, in my experience, that was the, exactly. you know, the, the majority of, I mean, the majority of the growth that, that we've seen were almost always through partnerships and exactly. alliances. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, I am a firm believer of collaboration over competition. Exactly, yeah, yep. I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's move on to a couple of um, interesting, a little bit challenging questions. What, what would you say your biggest challenge when you start to work with a new customer? Uh, I would say expectation setting, you know, and again, this is definitely contextual because there are some people who say, oh, now that we have your services, we'll never get breached, or you know, now we'll never, we'll never get hacked, that kind of thing. It's like, well, that's not how it works. You know, it's, it's, I mean, this is a, a lesson I learned very early on in the entrepreneurial side here was that uh, one of my, I'm gonna say it was my third or fourth client, um, they assumed that since they, they went with our service that they would never experience a security incident. And you know, they, um, they ended up having a, a, a uh, a insider threat, which led to a, a data exposure. And I remember you know, speaking with the client and he was not happy. He said, he said this wasn't supposed to happen. He said, I thought we hired you so we, this would never happen. I said, well, that, that doesn't make, that's not the case. You know, um, <laughs> that's the, there's no such thing as absolute security. And that was something I, I like I said, a lesson I learned very early on is that there are those, there are people who think that there is Achieving absolute 100% security is a thing, and as you and I both know, that's not possible. Uh, you know, it, it's it's we can reduce the uh, the risk, we can reduce the impact, we can reduce the likelihood, 
Uh, and when things happen, we're able to respond very quickly. Um, but that's what we can focus on. We can't live in the 100% security. Uh, so that's, like I said, having the, managing those expectations early on, um, that's still, still quite a challenge for us because there are people, like I said, who are stuck in that mindset. Yeah, and you know, they even they might even not know if they got breached before you came into play, right? Because they didn't have the processes yeah, and point. systems in place. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I know you've touched about uh, my next question as well. Uh, it goes back to your, your relationship with, uh, with, with other vendors. Uh, what would you say the biggest challenge is for you when you start working with a new vendor that you haven't uh, worked, in, worked with in the past? Uh, I'd say the biggest challenge, and I'll go back to that sort of um, relational versus transactional approach. You know, um, I'm someone who believes in developing relationships, and when we when we meet new vendors, you know, they'll say, "Well, you know, if you you get us placed with your client, you know, we'll we'll send you 25 percent or 20 percent of the deal." I'm like, "Well, I I don't I don't really want that. You know, 20 percent of the deal is irrelevant to me." Uh, I would rather take a relational approach where we can help each other win in the long run. Uh, you know, if we see the right opportunity where we can introduce you, we'll absolutely do so. And I would ask that they do the same. If they see an opportunity with one of their clients where they can introduce us to, in terms of providing CISO services, that's worth far, far more to me um, than just getting 20% of, of some one-time deal. So that to me is the whole sort of relational versus transactional mindset. If you're just focused on dollars and cents, you're a transactional person and um, I don't like dealing with those types of vendors, but if they're interested in developing a relationship, a collaborative relationship, uh, one built on respect and collaboration, then the sky's the limit with those types of relationships. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with that. Great answer. Um, what would you say is the biggest difference between your role or your, your you know, the, the professionals in your team role to, to a full-time CISO? Uh, yeah, good question. You know, I, I, I'd say that the, the, diff, you know, the difference as well is that when you're outside of the organization, uh, you're, you're, you're not able to direct um, change as easily as if you're, you're, you're inside there. So often, again, this comes down to the structure. As long as we position it where we're not a sitting duck, but we're an, the true advisor to the ultimate, why I refer to as the ultimate decision maker or decision makers. So rather than working directly with the IT manager, who is often uh, powerless for in the average performance of the organization, we are interfacing directly with the CEO, the business owner, the CEO, someone who ultimately calls the shots. And when we're advising them, we, we know that uh, what needs to be done will get done. Uh, so I'd say being on the outside, uh, especially now that you know, much of what we do is, is, is truly virtual, um, that, that adds an extra layer of, of um, complexity as well. So I'd say that's the biggest challenge is not being sort of always knowing what's happening on, on the inside. Yeah, and uh, you know, just to, to continue that thread, so, 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 how, so how would you deal with that? I mean, with, with those specific challenges, like did you have what, like weekly meetings? Do you have, I'm sure you have something in place to tackle that. Yeah, the, 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 the uh, and again, it, it, it depends. Um, and you're absolutely right. We, we structure frequent touch points or, or what we refer to as leadership uh, updates with, with, the, uh, with the key decision makers. And again, that frequency does vary depending on the client. Um, 
it's 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 a, it's a at least quarterly, but in many cases it's it's um, weekly or, or every other week. Uh, like I said, it's just situa situationally does depend. But uh, you're absolutely absolutely right in that having that clear communication channel um, with the uh, with the uh, key decision makers that allows us to get done what we need to get done. Uh, I know early on we we were focused more on dealing with IT people, the IT manager, uh, and the thing was we would just get stuck with and nothing would get accomplished. Uh, it was only probably in the past 18 months to 24 months where we realized our, our key buyer wasn't the IT person. Our key buyer, our key target was the business owner, the CEO, the CEO. As a result, like I said, we, we've seen tr uh, tremendous um, customer success by, by changing who, who our target buyer was. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you have uh, like any instances where a customer was so happy that you wanted to actually, uh, you wanted to hire your employee as a full-time employee? Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 that's, I, that's never happened. Um, there was, the closest I would say that, that that's happened, and this would go back to uh, probably year two, um, and this was actually my second client is when it was just still me just doing the majority of the work. But uh, I had a, a client that's that was that's based in the uh, in, uh, in in Northern California, and um, they uh, they were a virtual uh, organization, a, a SaaS company. And when I when I joined them, my uh, CISO service, they were I think they were a forty person company. And over the course of um, uh, two years, uh, they grew to being uh, almost 500 people. And just the way they were positioned and the fact that they were dealing with Fortune 500 companies and the growth that they were on, I said, you know what, I think, you know, you're at this spot now because they're a tech company. So, you know, I think you need to have someone in-house. Uh, my, sort of, my sort of rule of thumb is if you require more than 40 hours a month, uh, of, of service, you should be looking at having someone in the house. Um, that's again, fast and it's not really a um, set in, in science <laughs> that, but we've seen that, uh, we, we've seen that when our clients are with, so, so, uh, with 40 to 60, that they need to have someone in house that's capable of, of, of leading it. And it no longer makes sense to have it on, on a fractional perspective. Um, so I, I, I remember telling my client, I said, you know, we, we, we should plan for hiring a replacement. And he said, and he said, wow, he said, I never actually had a consultant who says you no longer need me <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so uh, um, that, was a, that was a fun time where um, I ended up going through that process and helping them hire their first um, InfoSec director. Uh, and that was a very, very cool process to be a part of. That's interesting. You know, my rule of thumb usually is if you need, if my customers need someone for more than two full days a week, this is when we mm -hmm. come back to them and tell them, look, I, we think you need a full-time employee right now. Yeah. And uh, we actually onboarded uh, a lot of uh, CISOs, you know, for the past 11 years. Like uh, yeah. when we, you know, assumed that role, like as a part-time consultant, and then, you know, we, we, we put like a, we put one of our consultants to serve uh, under that role for a while, but then as as the as the as the operations grew, 
the, this is when we came back to them and told them, look, you need to, to hire someone. And we even facilitated that, that uh, process as well. And even in some cases, uh, you know, onboarded them and even provided some training as well. So, yeah, but that's interesting that you say 40 hours because according to my calculation, we're probably two hours, uh, two days a week, probably anywhere between 70 to 80 hours a month. So that is, that's yeah. my rule of thumb, but okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, so if I were to talk to your customers, what do you think they would, they would say they like most about you or they like most about working with you and your company? I, I, I would say that it's the, it's the pragmatic side, you know, and, uh, I, I'm someone who's a firm believer in pragmatic security, not theoretical security. Um, and there's no shortage of security practitioners who say, oh, you must do this because the framework says so. Uh, and many uh, security uh, practitioners um, don't really appreciate or understand the um, the restrictions of operating in a business uh, uh, landscape. Many of them will make recommendations, which theoretically are correct, uh, but um, uh, I said lack pragmatism based on a lot of other contextual business factors. Uh, and that's the thing which I know our clients love about us is that we always say when we start our process, we learn about the business first. We don't just start talking about security. We learn about the business, what the key business process is, what makes organization tick, um, how does the organization make money. Um, understanding that, because I'm a firm believer that we do what we do right, we help um, the organization continue to be able to grow. Um, yeah. So it, it, to me, uh, I know that they would appreciate the fact that we're not like a lot of these stereotypical security practitioners out there where um, we're fine, we're engaging and above all, we're, we're pragmatic. Yeah. And would you say that uh, you were the driver of that approach, you know, being an entrepreneur yourself, that you understood? Yeah. The value? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, the, the, uh, a lot of these values are, are, are values which um, I have come to uh, take, take to heart just over the course of my career. Uh, what I've seen work, not work, uh, in the uh, in the security space. You know, and I, I at least in that particular example about pragmatic security, I can remember back to my corporate days where we would bring in a consultant, and they would rattle off this massive report and say, "Okay, well, here's all the things you guys aren't doing." And again, theoretically, I couldn't disagree with them, uh, but in practice, it's like, well, if you knew a lot of the other restrictions that we had to deal with, um, I think you would to be able to help us prioritize terms of what we should actually focus on. And there is, like I said, that, that there's no shortage of consultants that will tell you what's wrong, but there's very few consultants that will sit down and help you actually prioritize based on your business context or organizational context to figure out, you know, if, if you can only tackle two things this year, here's the two that you should absolutely tackle when it comes to cybersecurity. Yeah. Great, uh, great answer. Thank you. Um, who would you say is your ideal customer? And I'm not asking like f about a specific customer, but uh, mm. more of it like a, what's the type of customer that if I could like, you know, yeah. send 100 of those your way, you would be happy. <laughs> well, if you could, I would, I would be thrilled by the way. Uh, but uh, I'd say to me, the, the ideal customer uh, are those that are understanding that they're on a journey. You know that, that this is a some cybersecurity is, is not like upgrading the latest version of Windows or upgrading the Office or 65. Right, this is something which gets ingrained in the DNA of the organization. Uh, those that understand 
that this is all about incremental gains and continuous improvement over the long run. Um, those to me, uh, when I look at sort of the clients that I say, these are our favorite clients, those clients are always incredibly humble. They have incredible humility. They know that they, are, they can do better uh, and that they're not always fighting our recommendations or fighting us tooth and nail. Uh, they're the ones that truly, uh, truly embrace us as trusted advisors and that we work collaboratively uh, in terms of uh, making sure that we find the optimum solution um, uh, from a people process and technology perspective every time. So uh, those are my favorite clients, those that, that almost view this thing as a, as a, as a partnership. Yeah, and you know, I, I have, I actually have a relatively new company that's accredited under ANAB to provide ISO 27001 certifications. And what, you know, you're, you're talking and I'm hearing the ISO 27001, like the continuous improvement and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the need to be able to build an ISMS, which is basically yeah. a system of, that's comprised out of processes and, you know, procedures and need to keep improving. So, it's like, uh, yeah, it's very, I mean, if we could only explain the ISO 27001 in, uh, in, a, in a human friendly manner, because what you're saying, I mean, what you're doing right now, you're, you're creating programs like information security programs, you know, that, that, that's why they put the ISO 27001 in place to begin with, right? Yes. But yeah, I think the, the issue there is that they use all kinds of um, specific jargon that, <laughs> So hard to, ex <laughs> to explain. Yeah, uh, for sure. Great. So, uh, what would you? Uh, and and I think you've answered that question. This is just another angle, and you know, just feel free to skip it. What qualities do you don't like in a customer? Uh, yeah, and you know, I I I sum this up pretty easily. You know, I have a firm no jerks policy. You know, I I left corporate so I could choose who I work with and who I. Uh, I get to choose as clients, you know, I mean, early on as I was growing the organization, um, I wasn't picky, but um, uh, last year for the first time, we actually fired a client. Uh, and that was liberating so much. I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, and now we're at a spot where we can, um, we can pick and choose, you know, and as much as a prospect may be interviewing us, equally so we are interviewing them, you know, and if we feel that it's not going to be the right fit, the right relationship, I send them elsewhere. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, and like I said, for, for me, those that, uh, where it's obvious where they are standoffish, uh, that they're looking for someone to, to blame in the event of a, a security incident. Um, and if, like said, if they're jerks, then we just kick them to the curb. Not interested. Yeah. We've created a blacklist of customers as well. It's not, <laughs> it's not that long, I have to say, but I think there are two customers I can know more than that, probably five, around five to six, maybe seven <laughs> customers that we're not willing <laughs> to work with again in, in the future. Um, so I can relate I'll, to that. I'll make sure to share my blacklist, you share yours, and we'll make sure that we'll, <laughs> we stay clear of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so, and I know you have your own podcast, um, and, and, and maybe, you know, like other venues. So if our listeners that want to connect with you online, listen to what you have to say, where, where should they go? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I spend a ton of time on LinkedIn. Uh, so please, you know, uh, and we, we put out uh, a, the, whatever I think is great daily content about cybersecurity and uh, uh, on a daily basis. So you can f follow me uh, on LinkedIn. 
So Dominic Vogel, I'm the only one there. Um, you can follow us on uh, any of our social media, so the Cyber SC social media pages, so on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, I think those are the ones that we're on. Uh, or if you want to uh, check out our podcast, and I'm, by the way, looking forward to having you on there very, very soon, but check out the Cybersecurity Matters podcast uh, with myself and my co-host. Uh, we have, um, gosh, I think we're, we're getting 53 episodes that, that, that we've done um, talking with all sorts of awesome security people and as well as other uh, cool uh, uh, influencers uh, that have nothing to do with cybersecurity, but um, please feel free to check out the content. But any of your viewers or listeners want to reach out, uh, I, I always love it when, when people reach out to you just to say hey. Great, great stuff. And this will be available as part of the transcript of this episode as well. Uh, and just like a final bonus question I always like to ask, if you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? <laughs> good, good question. Uh, well, especially during COVID right now, I think you were alluding to this uh, uh, earlier. Uh, I'd buy a nice remote Pacific Island somewhere where my family and I could just ride out this storm. Uh, and that's what I would do if I had unlimited funds. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent answer. I, you know, it's, it's, been, it's probably been one of my dreams since probably the first James Bond movie I, I've watched yeah. as a kid, right? Like the first one, probably. Yes. I think it was Dr. Yes. No. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You just need to have all those silos and the opening volcanoes and all the submarines and all the, the gadgets. And you, you can have that if you have unlimited funds. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah. What, one day we'll, we'll, uh, maybe we'll be neighbors on, on, on Pacific Islands. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely like that. So, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join my podcast, Dominic. I, it has been a pleasure uh, talking with you again. Uh, looking forward to uh, to coming on to your podcast. And when I hit like a significant number in you know in this, uh, I'm not sure if this if this is going to be a, a limited series of uh, interviewing VCs or not, but. Uh, as, as I accumulate more and more episodes, I'm, I'll be more than happy to, to have you here again. Maybe, you know, we could, uh, we could lear learn some more stuff. I could come up with some new questions and you could provide some new insights as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for another episode of CISO's Insiders. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more professional content, please check us out on social media.